Greetings, Stationeers. Thanks for listening to The Revelation Station. This episode is sponsored by Amazon Music Unlimited. Listen to over 70 million songs on demand, always ad-free. You can listen offline with unlimited access to all your favourite songs, and now you can also follow your favourite podcasts, such as a little one called The Revelation Station, perhaps? Hint, hint. And now a special offer for you, dear listeners. Amazon are not only offering unlimited music for three months absolutely free, but for everyone who clicks on our link, Amazon will give money to the podcast. There's literally no downside. So click the link in the podcast description or visit our website at www.revelationstationpodcast.com for more details. Now, please enjoy this episode. The Revelation Station presents Claws and Effect, a Halloween tale by Gary Stark. My car headlights sliced the night into illuminated segments of wet country road. The rain had persisted for hours, yet not heavy enough for the wipers to be turned to anything more than intermittent. The nerve-jangling screech was the only thing keeping me awake as I drove on and on into the night. I was almost thankful for it in a masochistic sort of way. It helped me to concentrate on the road ahead. That was how I came to see the hedgehog. There was no time for me to stop as my mind filled in the blanks and recognised it for what it was. With painful regret and inevitability, I felt the wheels of the car bump over the poor chap. It was what happened next that came as a surprise. I walked around the car to check the damage. Fortunately, I'd been on a quiet country lane, so my little accident hadn't caused any further complications, and I wasn't in danger of being hit by any of the motorists. I braced myself against the chill wind which blew the rain into my face and studied the damage by the underwhelming beam of the headlights. Both the front and rear driver side tyres had burst. I looked down the road for the hedgehog, thinking to myself what a robust little fellow he must have been, but of him I saw no sign. Not even a smear in the road, yet I knew I had hit him. I felt it. Surely he couldn't have survived. Yet how could he have caused my tyres to burst? Thinking I must have been mistaken, I looked around to see if I could spot any other objects which my vehicle could have hit and sent spinning into the sidings with the force of the collision. A spiky rock, or some sort of builder's debris, perhaps. I returned to my car to retrieve my mobile phone and call for assistance. Cursing my luck as it ran out of power almost immediately, I was sure I'd charge it after the morning sales meeting, but it was getting old and maybe time for an upgrade. (sighs) With little other choice, I decided to open the boot of the car and check my emergency equipment. Cars aren't really my thing, but are new enough to always carry a certain amount of stuff which one is supposed to have in such circumstances. I was sure that the torch would prove invaluable, although I was certain the one spare tyre wouldn't do me any favours. I also removed the blanket bought, as I recall, for a romantic picnic that had never happened. It would at least serve a purpose now by keeping me warm until another car came by and I could flag it down for assistance. 
After half an hour, I began to worry that another car wasn't coming along any time soon. Half an hour after that, with the cold beginning to creep into my bones, I began to wonder where the hell I actually was. I'd taken back roads to avoid the traffic, and the irony of the choice wasn't lost on me at this point. In the dark, I could see nothing in either direction. No lights, not even from the burning torches of locals, ready to burn a wicker effigy of a suburbanite who'd strayed too far from civilization. Although it occurred to me that as the fields on either side were ploughed, there was likely to be a farmhouse nearby. Peering through the darkness, I caught a glimmer of light about a mile away across the cultivated fields. It was either a light in a window or some sort of street light. Either way, it promised help, and I resolved to head towards it. I stashed everything into the boot and locked the car, against whom I cannot say, and set off across the fields. It was fortunate that the rain hadn't penetrated the earth enough to make my going slow or particularly messy. I set a good pace, and within a short time I reached what turned out to be a small cottage with only minor bruising to my shins, brought about by collision with objects my woefully underpowered flashlight singularly failed to illuminate properly. The cottage was clearly a farmhouse of some sort, an old-style, two-storey affair with small rectangular windows at ground level which suggested a little basement beneath. The door was an old, solidly built wooden construction with large black ironwork and studs. Through a small square window set into it, a light glowed from within. An iron knocker was set below this. I grabbed it and knocked. The small, bold head of an old man opened the door a crack and peered out at me. He looked me up and down briefly and frowned. He had surprisingly sharp, bright eyes which focused on me with curiosity. When he spoke, his voice was strong, and I began to reevaluate my impression of his age. Maybe not quite so old. He was definitely old. Yes? Hi, so sorry to bother you. Don't need broadband. Wait, I'm not here for broadband. I'm not sure you could even get it this far out. I'm broken down. Well, I'm not broken down. My car is. Can I use your phone? Do you even have a phone? Well, why didn't you say? Come in, come in. He stepped back and let me in. I was immediately surprised by how modern the interior of the house looked. From the small entrance hallway, I saw three rooms, including a kitchen. It was all very clean and neat. However, that was overwhelmed by the sudden realisation that there were a disturbing amount of stuffed animals on display. Nearly every surface was covered and their beady black eyes stared at me from every corner. Ducks, rabbits, badgers, a fox, even a goose. Who stuffs a goose, for God's sake? But stuffed they were, and all neatly placed around what I could see of the house. This way... The phone's in the kitchen. There it is. Over on the table next to that pile of books. Help yourself and I'll put the kettle on. Thank you. I removed the RAC card from my wallet and dialed the number. As is usually the case in emergencies such as this, I was almost immediately put on hold. As I waited, my eyes scanned the room. The walls were a hideous shade of yellow, and huge shelves lined the walls, all filled with books and still more stuffed animals. 
including a band of squirrels dressed as pirates and posed as though in the middle of a battle. Is uh, taxidermy a hobby of yours? He turned from the stove, a strange smile on his face before returning to the tea making. Before I could ponder this smile, the phone came to life, and I was put through to someone who could help. They asked the location of the car, which stumped me. I didn't know where I was, never mind the car. I covered the mouthpiece for a second. Where are we? Badger's Creek. Do they? Badger's Creek Road. Oh, oh, I see, thank you. Hello, I'm at a place called Badger's Creek Road. No, no, I'm not a single female. Uh, no, I don't have any children with me. Well, not to my knowledge. <laughs> Okay, 90 minutes. Great, thank you. I smiled at the man and began to rise from my seat. Well, it'll be about an hour and a half. Thanks for letting me use your phone. I won't disturb you any longer. No trouble at all. No trouble. Sit back down. You haven't had your tea yet. Besides, a foul night out. You might as well wait here a bit until I arrive. He gave me another smile and handed me a tin. Here, have a biscuit. I took a digestive and sat back down. The tea, when it arrived, was hot and strong. We sat at the table, and I tried to engage the fellow in small talk to pass the time. Ahem, <coughs> so, uh, the animals are very good. Very lifelike. Well, well apart from the pirate costume. <laughs> Is this a hobby of yours, stuffing animals? A hobby? No, no, not as such. Tell me, have you ever lost anyone important to you? He stared at me intensely. You mean, misplaced? No, no. As in died. Oh, I see. No, I've been lucky so far. Uh, you? My wife. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, it was a long time ago now. Nothing to be done. But death does interest me. Hence the animals. He gestured around him with a sad smile on his face. Then he turned to look me directly in the eyes. Almost like they could live forever this way. Never aging, no disease. Unless you count a little bit of mould here and there. I looked again at the animals. They were really very good. All posed. Some in a natural fashion. Others, like the squirrels, not so much. We did them all myself, you know. Fascinating procedure. Really? Oh yes. Come, you must see. I rarely get visitors, so I don't often get to show off my workroom. And he stood and walked towards the door at the far end of the kitchen. I remained seated. He stopped and turned towards me with a look of disappointment. Please, you have time to spare, and there will be cake after. I must say I thought the cake was a lie, and doubted that I would be in the mood anyway after touring a bunny abattoir. But his disappointment touched me somehow, so I rose to my feet and followed him. Don't worry, there's nothing gory down here. We reached an impressively large cellar, one wall of which was lined with yet more books. To one side was a shelf filled with assorted stuffed rodents, and against the far wall, under the windows I'd noticed from outside, there was a series of workbenches. A series of neatly placed tools were arranged on the surface. The centre of the room was home to more tables, upon which rested jars of what I took to be the chemicals used in the process, formaldehyde and the like. Bright lights blazed overhead, giving the room the appearance of an operating theatre. Very impressive hobby room. <laughs> I only have a garage myself. Thank you. We've built it up over the years. He busied himself at a table as I took in the room, from the workbenches to the chemicals. The bookshelves in particular caught my attention, and I walked over to inspect them. 
Grouped in no particular order that I could ascertain were books on biology next to books on sewing, on top of a furniture manufacturing for amateurs next to advanced chemistry texts, all leaning against Squirrel in an American Civil War outfit, posed as though holding them up. <clears throat> I jumped as the man cleared his throat and spoke. I hadn't realised that I'd been holding my breath. Yes. At first I stuffed the animals to preserve them. Death shouldn't be allowed to take everything from this world. But then I thought to myself, stuff them. Yes, exactly. Stuff them. Why stuff them when it would be better to bring them back to life? I be beg your pardon? Yes, bring them back to life. Reanimate the dead. You mean like Frankenstein or, or a school reunion disco? Mm-hmm. Feeling decidedly uncomfortable now, I returned my attention to the bookcase. Something caught my eye and I looked at the stuffed squirrel. It winked at me. I took a step back towards the stairs. <laughs> this is all terribly interesting. Oh, goodness, is that the time? I think I'd better go and wait in my car if it's all the same to you. It's not. I turned and saw furry paws descending the stairs. I backed away, back towards the man as down the stairs they came. Rabbits, ducks, badgers, the pirate squirrels now with sabres drawn. More of them slowly advancing towards me with beady black eyes staring unblinkingly. I looked at the man who smiled. I began small, you see, mice and the like. I found that by the use of certain chemicals and a certain stimulus... A certain stimulus? A shitload of electricity, forgive my technical jargon. You should see my bloody power bill. It's shocking what they charge these days. He smiled again at his own joke. He was doing more and more of that now. Me, not so much. But I find the whole thing unsatisfying. The animals. They're reanimated, sure, but alive? When was the last time you had a decent conversation with a squirrel? They follow my will, as you can see. But they have no independent thought. Like a, a Love Island contestant? They do pretty much as I tell them. Just like the hedgehog you hit. <laughs> or more accurately, perhaps, that hit you. I sent him out there, armoured and covered in metal spikes, for the very purpose of bringing you here. You or someone like you. He actually quite likes the spikes. It surprises the local foxes no end. You've heard of the six million dollar man. He's my nine pound thirty nine hedgehog. He gestured to the table beside him, where a small silver hedgehog sat, covered in what looked like nails. You're mad! Mildly annoyed, maybe. But we'll see which of us gets the Nobel Prize, shall we? My back was now against the workbenches by the wall, and the room was filling up with assorted animals. Down at my feet, a squirrel looked at me with malevolence. An unusual look for a squirrel, I thought. You see, I think the problem is the small animal brain. There's not enough mass to retain the electrical energy needed to keep memories and personality and whatnot alive. We need to try my technique on something bigger. Have you thought about maybe trying a cow? Nice try. But I don't have a cow. You'll do for now. Maybe I'll try a cow tomorrow. Now then, this won't hurt a bit. Really? No. It'll hurt a lot. At this point I panicked. There was no way out. Animals were blocking any escape to the stairs and the man was holding a vicious looking scalpel. I looked behind me at the workbench and my gaze raised to the windows. 
I looked down again at the squirrel now sitting on my foot. I punted it as hard as I could at the man. As squirrels are not the most aerodynamic of creatures, it missed and went wide, slamming into a lit Bunsen burner below a bubbling jar of chemicals, which crashed to the floor and ignited. The man jumped in alarm. You fool! What have you done? The chemicals! The squirrel was now burning merrily, but standing, staring straight at me. It twitched, winked at me once more, and then exploded with a force which seemed much more powerful than its small form would attest. The force of the blast threw me to the floor and vaporised half the table on which the squirrel had been standing. Burning wood and fur rained down on the other animals, which quickly set light as well. What have you done? What have you done? The chemicals are highly unstable. He grabbed a fire extinguisher from the wall and vainly tried to put out the burning taxiderms. I took my chance and climbed onto the workbench. Prying open the window above, I scrambled through with the smell of singeing fur assaulting my nostrils and the screams of the man filling my ears. As I pulled myself through, I felt a scratching at my legs and looked down. It was a rabbit with singed ears and teeth bared ready to bite. I booted it back into the inferno that was now consuming the cellar. Pulling myself through the window, I ran. I ran for all I was worth until a colossal explosion blew me off my feet and threw me to the ground. All around me, fragments of the house rained down. A burning badger's arse barreled through the air and thudded into the ground next to me. I picked myself up and ran back to the relative safety of my car. Minutes later, I sat exhausted against the bonnet of my car and looked back towards the house. The fire was already almost out, the explosion having scattered everything flammable far and wide. I reached into my pocket for my keys. Had this really happened? Surely it was too fantastical. I began to doubt my own sanity. That was when I heard it. From behind my car came a goose its beady dead eyes gleaming at me with hatred. How it escaped the explosion I'll never know, but the look it gave me told me that my fight for survival was not yet over this night. I stepped to one side. It waddled to one side and hissed. I stepped back. It honked again and lowered its head to charge. By now I had had enough. I took off my shoe, launched myself at the goose and began to beat it. We rolled around, pecking and beating at each other. Feathers flew as I repeatedly hit and tore at the devilish, undead beast. So you see, officer, that's when the RAC van pulled up and found me beating a goose to death with my shoe. You know how it all makes sense in your head until you try to explain it to someone else? Well, you try getting the RSPCA to believe that the goose you were trying to bludgeon to death was actually a zombie. Good luck with that. Claws and Effect was written by Gary Starr. Adapted by Simon Heldrick. Performed by Simon Heldrick with a special guest appearance from Richmond Lieshi as... The Man. This has been a Revelation Station production.